Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, I am here on the campus of the University of Dallas, one of the most popular destinations for CLT test takers, uh, with UD President Sanford. President Sanford, uh, thanks for being with us today. It is really a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. So we love uh, to, to talk about UD. Uh, UD, along with Hillsdale and Benedictine, these are our, our, a couple of the destinations that CLT students uh, tend to keep applying to. And uh, when I talk to people about the academic formation, the spiritual formation that they get here, it really is a place kind of like uh, no other. So I'm excited to dig in to chat about UD, but I'd love to start uh, kind of with your own journey. Uh, were you a studious young boy? Could you have pictured yourself becoming a college president? I certainly did not picture myself becoming a college president. Although, um, you know, when, when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to be a professional baseball player and that did not work out. Um, but um, I had a, a teacher who actually taught after he taught me at the University of Dallas and was instrumental in founding the writing program at the Highland School uh, with a real classical model. And his name was Roland Lasseter, and he inspired in me a certain vision of what it might be to be at least mm. an intellectual. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't think about being a college professor at that time, but I, I went to a classical uh, school in South Bend, Indiana, Trinity oh, wow. School at Greenlawn. I did not realize that. Okay, that, that's uh, John Balsba's... Where he's the head that, That's right. He's the, the headmaster there now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Yes. And my mom taught there for about 37 years. Okay. And yeah, it was a wonderful school. Well, one school, three campuses. Is that what they say? It's... That's that's right. Although okay. they didn't say that when I was there. Uh, okay. It's been a few years. And this is the original Trinity? That's right. Is that right? That's okay. right. I, I've heard wonderful things about that school. Yeah. So uh, John MacArthur was the inspiration in a lot of respects. He had, had mm -hmm. taught at... St. Mary's um, at a time when some of the founders of Trinity School um, wanted to find a way to incorporate a great books education. And, and yeah. uh, there were several professors at the University of Notre Dame who were also part of this project. And, and they got together and, and started the school, I think, in the early 80s. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And then uh, at that time in Trinity, did you did you start to imagine uh, a life of, of graduate level work and what it would be like to spend a career in academia? I did not. No, <laughs> I would say... Um, I loved learning. I especially enjoyed our humane letters sequence there, and mm. and uh, really throve in that context. But I didn't, I, I didn't know what to expect um, at that time. Trinity didn't have a, a guidance counselor. Um, I didn't know exactly how to explore college options. But um, I was inspired to be a lifelong learner, and um, I felt as though the teachers that I had there were really outstanding, and. Um, kept our attention on on the core of the matter right um, yeah. what 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 did this or that author really think and what's the truth that's beautiful I love that yeah yep perfect all right should we start over we get to keep Keep going. You're good to keep going. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and then walk us through uh, kind of undergrad and graduate. Where did you go for undergrad? And I, I went to Xavier University in okay. Cincinnati, and I went there um, in large part because of a program in classical languages. It was the old oh, wow. Ratio Studiorum, um, okay. so the old Jesuit model uh, that the school was founded with. It was four years of reading literature in Greek mm. and Latin, and um, it was a, a wonderful environment. The school itself was. Um, uh, theologically 
challenged in some places. I didn't know that going <laughs> yeah. in, but I was blessed with a, a full scholarship. I was looking for oh, wow. for okay. funding to uh, go to college, and and yeah. that was that was my ticket. So classics major or Greek and Latin? Yeah, so classics major is is the way it looks on paper, although it's a little bit more than that in okay. terms of uh, the number of courses. So there there were. Um, these courses in ancient literature that we had every single semester, and then additional philosophy and history and theology courses, um, uh, mathematics and economics. So there was a, a robust core. Okay. It was a small program. I entered with 10 other people. I think mm-hmm. only five of us graduated because <laughs> there, there was another honors program that was not so um, challenging with respect to uh, the extensive work in Greek and Latin. And I picked up a, a philosophy major on the way. I was a uh, my second major was a, a literature major for about uh, three years, and and I just fell in love with philosophy and okay. thought I'd go to law school. That was the the latest uh, plan I had before I, I finally landed on going to graduate school. Okay, and tell us about graduate school and, and what you ultimately did your dissertation on. Yeah, so um, the reason I went to graduate school was in large part because I felt so grateful for the um, excellent teachers I had and thought that uh, really the only fitting way to pay back the the benefits that I'd received mm-hmm. was myself to teach. I didn't know I would find research and writing so enjoyable, but I was glad to find that out. I went to SUNY Buffalo, yeah. uh, State University of New York at Buffalo, and I went there um, upon the recommendation of one of my professors who was a, um, influential. He was a, a Jewish mm-hmm. scholar of Nietzsche. Um, and um, a faithful um, Jewish scholar. And he thought that this school would be the best fit for me because of their strengths in classical languages. I was Mm. considering a a second PhD in classics at the time, and they had a dual track for both those programs. And um, the school itself had influences from lots of different traditions, so strong in the history of philosophy. And um, they were also very generous. I was already married at the time, and and uh, the financial considerations were were significant. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, it's also the birthplace of phenomenology in the United States. So I, oh, I was wow. interested okay. in phenomenology. Um, at first, just by reputation, I uh, had always taken inspiration from St. John Paul II. Mm. I knew that he had done work on Shaler. I didn't know anything about Shaler. I had taken a couple of courses on Husserl as an undergrad, and um, I knew that phenomenology had first landed in the United States at that university through Marvin Farber, who Mm. uh, was a student of of Heidegger's for a couple of years when he was on a a grant. So um, all of those things kind of came together, and it was was a great environment for me. And I wrote a dissertation on... uh, Max Scheler and uh, Aristotle, comparing the the approaches of their respective ethics and arguing that there was more in common than meets the eye. I'm wondering, are, are we seeing, a, are we finally turning the ship in terms of the loss, the decline of the study of classical languages? I mean, it, it was just part of any good education even 100 years ago. Uh, did we hit bottom in the 80s and 90s and are we slowly recovering or are we still searching for rock bottom? I hope we've hit rock bottom. I really do. And um, a number of our children do go to a classical education um, K-12 school, and they all learn Latin, right? So it's it's part of the fabric. This is a public charter, actually, where they oh, go, nice. okay. Great Hearts Academies. And um, 
you know, it's 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 just part of that network, right? So that's that's yeah. a clear area of growth. There have been a number of new classical schools that have popped up in recent years. I'm sure yeah. you're aware of that um, in many respects more than I am. Uh, we we've got a master's in classical education at the University of Dallas. We also provide in-service training for teachers at schools that want to convert to a classical model, and we're working on a, on a curriculum. So you can find those activities collected under our St. Ambrose Center for Catholic Liberal Education and Culture. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems from the the extremely high demand that mm-hmm. uh, the faculty within that center are receiving for this kind of model that Latin Greek, not as much, but Latin at least is um, a norm within the classical schools. And uh, there are more classical schools than there were before. I'd love to see regular old public schools bring Latin back, but I think that's probably not going to happen. But maybe all of those regular old public schools will um, uh, awaken to the classical model at time. That's that's an an encouraging take. Uh, Let's talk about the the University of Dallas. Uh, again, one of the most popular destinations for CLT test takers. And I, in some ways, I measure the the value of what a college or university is doing based on just the graduates I meet. It's probably not the best way, but just anecdotally, you meet a graduate from uh, St. John's in Annapolis or from the University of Dallas, and they've learned how to think, right? Uh, they're, they're different kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes this place special? Well, that's a great question. What makes it special is really the classroom experience. I mean, that's at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I sometimes think about this in terms of, of what's missing in our broader culture. So I, I don't want to go so far as to say we don't th- see people thinking, but uh, we do see people agitating a lot. And we see a lot of, of shouting past each other. We yeah. uh, we see a loss of of what Chesterton calls the the art of of arguing without quarreling, right? Mm-hmm. And and so our students learn how to argue. They can't hide behind a screen. They're engaged in a classroom where they are compelled, whether mm-hmm. they like it or not, to um, offer an interpretation of, of the Iliad, offer an interpretation of uh, Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice, or what have you, right? So you can't hide. There's a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. And um, we're convinced that one learns to think clearly by writing well. Mm-hmm. And um, one learns to write well in part through engaging in conversation with others. So the, the tradition itself is is one that lends itself to argumentation. It's sometimes called a, an extended argument. That's what the philosopher Alistair McIntyre um, refers to the the Western intellectual tradition, the Catholic intellectual tradition to be. And he's right about mm. that. It's 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 a tradition of conflict. Uh, we've we've got um, Plato very nervous about the influence of Homer. We've got Aristotle who rejects some of Plato's own positions, and mm-hmm. and we haven't even gotten to uh, the the fusion of the Jewish and, and Christian traditions with the Greek origins, right? Where where conflicts abound in a whole variety of of other ways, and and so. Um, learning how to understand the position of your interlocutor, being able to articulate their position um, optimally, even better than they do, is critically important to cultivating this art of arguing without quarreling. So we really want our students to be able to to um, enter into the the frame of mind of an author 
enter into the frame of mind of uh, a fellow classmate or the professor and um, challenge their position internally, right? To mm. see it, to see it from mm. that perspective, rather than just foisting, okay, I have this idea, you have that idea, and and um, we'll just yell at each other or go our separate <laughs> ways, right? Yeah. Um, other other things that are really distinctive here, we do have a vibrant student life culture, mm. and. Um, the, the way in which student life is connected to the academic life is because of the common set of objects that our students have before them, right? The, the text that they read, the, the science work that they do, um, all of our students are required to take two, at least two science courses, each of, each of which has to have a lab. Um, so they, they have things to think about in concert with each other. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves identifies the, the central feature of friendship mm-hmm. as not a matter of um, gazing into the eyes of another and really getting to know them as an object. That, mm-hmm. that is really more a matter of romantic love. But friendship as a kind of love, love is a matter of, of being passionate about some third thing. Right, you and the friend or a group of friends all having before you this thing you're trying to understand, advance, what have you. And so the the common curriculum that our students all work through here with the University of Dallas core provides the the very framework in which friendship can flourish. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, um, there are all kinds of other clubs and activities. At, at the heart of the University of Dallas is its Catholicism and and uh, shared liturgy. We've got masses every day, um, two masses. We've got a Cistercian community, a monastery that abuts campus. We have a Dominican priory on campus. We're building a convent for the National oh, Dominicans wow. who teach for us. And um, we've got the seminary for the diocese on campus. So all of these different currents, and there are many more besides, are are flowing into the university. Mm-hmm. The divine liturgy is at the heart of it. But when it comes to the, the formation of the mind and the way in which the place is unified under an idea, it's it's that intellectual formation. Well, I didn't realize that. My, my daughter actually goes to a school run by the Dominicans, uh, Nashville Dominicans, Mountain Sales Academy up in Catonsville, Maryland, and just, just love the, their, their witness and the work they're doing. Um, and a lot of the parents we connect with at CLT, we, we've heard over the years, uh, an overall frustration with just the mission drift of higher ed. I think we see that in, in two places. At Catholic college, when just the overall loss of Catholic identity, but then also uh, in college after college, kind of trashing any kind of a serious core curriculum. Um, how has UD been able to, as an, as an outsider perspective at least, kind of avoid mission drift? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that outsider perspective is accurate. <laughs> um, we've avoided mission drift. And a large part of that is is having to say no to some things, mm. right? So um, there there are choices that we've made and are continuing to make. Um, it's hard to fit certain kinds of degree programs into a four-year structure if you have a two-year integrated core curriculum. Mm-hmm. That's just a, a bullet we're, we're happy to bite and or a pill we're happy to swallow. <laughs> um, it's, it's what makes us distinctive in part. It, but it means that if you want to be a nurse, um, We've, we've got a pathway for you to um, work with another university to become a nurse uh, through being a biology major here, but there will be additional coursework beyond what you would typically complete within four years. So a five-year arrangement. You get a, a University okay. of Dallas degree, and then uh, you can move on and get your, your nursing degree through this arrangement. Um, we've got four plus one arrangements for engineering. Um, our, okay. We have a number of graduates who have gone directly into graduate programs in engineering, 
we don't have an undergraduate engineering major. It's, it's really impossible to fit so large of a major into a four-year cycle with the core curriculum. So um, it's tough, it's tough to say no to, to say some things. You're not willing to that core, and that's what is so formative when I talk to graduates at the University of Dallas. I, I would not have taken this, but I had to, and it changed my life. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that I think a lot of young people struggle with now is they think they're supposed to know what they're going to do with the rest of their, of their life. You asked me yeah. what I was going to do with the rest of my life. When I started my freshman year, I, I thought maybe I'll be a journalist. Maybe I'll be a high school Latin teacher. I wanted to coach. I was a three-sport athlete in, in high school. Um, and I, I did coach, but not on the high school level. Um, I never taught Latin, although I love it. Um, certainly didn't become a journalist, but appreciate it. And write on occasion an op-ed piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but going through the courses that I did, enabled me to see possibilities that weren't available in, in my original horizon. Similarly, our most popular undergraduate major for the first two years is, um, what, we call it undeclared. That's not a very attractive term. You, we, we've got a lot of seekers. They're not sure what they're going to major in. And that might seem counterproductive, right? Oh, you've got to know what your major is. You need to make progress towards it um, so that you, you don't lose time. What, what actually sadly happens to a lot of people is they, they think they know what their major is going to be. They, they make progress for a year or two. Mm-hmm. It's a really large major. They haven't done a lot of other things. They're not sure what they're going to do. Maybe they find something else. They change their major. And all of a sudden, they can't complete their course of studies within four years. They have to add another year to college. So there, there are financial advantages to taking the time to work through a a an opportunity to explore the full array of disciplines see what is really attractive what you want to dig in on and major in yeah. um, we still of course allow students to declare a, a biology major or what have you early on but time is not lost um, in in pursuing those courses because they're also making progress on the uh, the core curriculum which is requisite for all of our graduates uh, I do want to shift in a moment to talk about uh, the graduate program, the good work that Matt Post and so many others are doing. But I, I first want to hear a little bit about this Rome program because it is one of the most epic uh, study abroad opportunities. It sound, sounds like most students do it who go to UD. Yeah, um, over 80% of our students do it. And um, I really would love to see 100% of our students do it. And um, the, the program is unique in a lot of ways. One, one of those ways is that the coursework there is part of the core curriculum itself. It's a sophomore level study abroad program. Okay. So many other study abroad programs are pitched towards the junior or senior year. You might, um, and there's value to be had in say, immersing yourself in, mm-hmm. in language studies in uh, a country in which that language is used. Um, but the, the value of this program is you're in Europe, you're just outside of Rome, Europe becomes, so to speak, a, a laboratory for you. So think of it as a, a semester in which you're engaged in a humanities lab. Um, the Eternal City is the Eternal C- City for a reason, right? It's 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 where um, Athens and Jerusalem converge in a particular way within within Rome for political reasons, for theological reasons, philosophical reasons. It's it's of signature importance. You're you're surrounded by beauty. And, and you get to explore. We, we actually have our students 
not just go on guided tours. We, we, we do a lot of, of that. We, we provide site visits that are tied into the courses that are provided during that, that Rome semester. But um, we also at one point say, okay, we'll see you in 10 days. Uh, we're going to lock the doors and um, we, we make sure they've got a buddy system and, and other pieces in place. But our students need to mature in order to get through that period of time. They've got to, they've got to find out how to, how to make their way from one destination to another, how to make sure they've got a hotel to sleep in or a hostel or what have you. And um, it's it, remarkable how much more mature the, the mm. students are when they return. And we sometimes remark upon that and think, boy, they, th- this person left as a, as a boy or, mm. or, or a girl, they returned as a, as a man or a woman. And, mm-hmm. and we, we note the difference, right? There's a, a maturation there, a maturing mm. of the mind in ways that are of incalculable importance yeah. for their well, education. So this, this is kind of the culmination of this first year and a half of, a, of an intense core curriculum. Is that one way to think of it? That, that's, that's right. You can think of it as the core of the UD core, okay. the, the, the heart of that core. And the campus itself is, is beautiful. It, it's and you about make your, 12 you acres. Make your own wine. We make our own wine. And uh, we make our own olive oil, although we, yeah. we can't distribute that in the United States, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but beautiful vineyards and um, olive groves and athletic fields and, of course, uh, classrooms. And, and the students are all there together. It's, it's also a, a place in which friendship is, hmm. is um, uh, cultivated even more earnestly than on our campus because you're there with 125 other students and you're, you're doing all of these activities together. Like it or not, this is your community, right? Yeah. And, and um, you, you learn to navigate uh, uh, complexities of relationships through through that time there, and you have before you not just the the shared objects of the classroom, but the the uh, shared objects of of the visits you take to different churches or museums or what have you. But there's a ten day trip to Greece that's mm. that's uh, in many respects the the centerpiece of that study abroad program. Amazing. I do dream at some point in the future to get out and visit your own campus. Uh, you would well. be welcome anytime. Um, let's talk about the graduate program. Uh, and I particularly would love to understand, I mean, now that there's a number within the classical renewal movement, there's there's three or four graduate programs. Uh, Hillsdale is launching a new one. Gordon has one as well. Uh, the, the UD one seems to be the, the most popular, especially with teachers mm-hmm. uh, who really want to master the craft of being a great teacher in a classical school. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the mission and the focus of the program? Yeah, the, the, the program is designed to um, take one's education to the next level. It is very popular with teachers. We've seen enormous growth there over the last five years. And it it's born from our, our brand of Graduate School of Liberal Arts, which is where we, we hold PhD programs in philosophy, politics, and literature, many other master's programs. And that, that graduate school has always been an incubator of new ideas. And one of the founders of the Graduate School of uh, Liberal Arts, the Brandeis School, is uh, Louise Cowan, the great oh, professor yeah. of literature. And she saw the, um, the graduate school as providing an opportunity to teach the teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's been part of our DNA for a long time. And so when we realized that there, there was something we could do significantly in this area of classical education, um, it, it mm-hmm. felt like a very organic 
development for us. We already had the faculty. We, we attracted yeah. from Hillsdale, Dr. Jeffrey Lehman. Um, he's great. Yeah. He's, he's, he's fantastic. And he's the executive director of the St. Ambrose Center for Catholic Liberal Education and okay. Culture. And um, uh, Dr. Matthew Post works with him. Uh, so too do a number of other faculty, some dedicated just to that work. Others are in um, other departments at the university. And um, we've worked hard to make sure that the program is um, able to fit with a teaching schedule. So there, there is a heavy online component. There has to be because it's very difficult for um, high school or, or primary school teachers to, to travel during the uh, academic year. And we recognize that uh, salaries are, are not exceptionally high um, within, within um, uh, primary and, and secondary schools. And so um, we work hard to raise additional funding. We've, we've been blessed with some grants in the past um, okay. to, to help uh, with some of those costs. Um, if any of your listeners have an idea for, for somebody I could approach, I'd be happy to do so because we really, we have to pay our own teachers. Um, we're not looking to get rich on this program and, and it's a tremendous help if uh, we can uh, provide scholarships for uh, the teachers eager to, to come. Some, some teachers are already teaching in a classical school. Some want to. Uh-huh. Some, some teachers are teaching in a classical school and, and have, have had a University of Dallas education. Mm-hmm. Um, others haven't. Um, so sometimes um, a school will have a, a, um, um, a teacher, let's say, in the sciences, and they really didn't have the benefit of uh, a classical education program, um, liberal education program when they were undergrads. And, and so we've, we've got different tracks within this, um, program for, um, students, depending on which level that, uh, they find themselves in, depending on their own background. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they, they do this remote. Are they out here on campus? So uh, most of it's remote, uh, uh-huh. but we also provide on-ground classes in the summertime. Um, we're teaching a course in Rome, uh, this semester. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's being taught on, on our, our Rome campus. Um, we're also using some of the facilities, um, um, connected to one of the colleges in, um, in Rome itself. So, so one final question before the final, final question, which will always be, uh, the the book that has been most formative for you. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the virtues or, or the great things about UD is that it, it doesn't seem to change when everything else seems to be changing. Um, but what is your vision for the next five or 10 years in leading the, the university? Yeah. Uh, what place do you hope UD occupies in American higher ed in the future? So I, I would say UD has changed in some ways. We're much more deliberate about finding ways for our students to uh, land internships, mm-hmm. to explore career options. It's become a, a great priority of this university to make sure that we do everything we can so that students can land on their feet. And that was identified as a, as a priority maybe seven years ago. And, and um, that area of, of our work mm-hmm. has really flourished. A great number of our students do go on to graduate studies. We've got exceptionally high med school placement rates, for instance, and law school placement rates. Um, but many of our students just want to um, work right away, and they're not sure what that means. Um, one one of the uh, paradoxes, I, I think, of, of how this works is the anxiety I mentioned that students sometimes feel. I mean, our, our students feel that too. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are they going to do when they graduate? Mm-hmm. Having an internship relatively early in their time um, allows them to explore a, a possible career option and then um, lifts their anxiety because they're making progress on thinking about that in, 
it, it enables them to throw themselves into their studies mm -hmm. even more. So it's not a distraction. We've found it actually works um, extremely well with the education that we provide. Um, the I'm trying to remember the other part of your question. Yeah, just kind of your vision for the future oh, of UD, and especially yes. the place you're going to occupy in, in higher ed. Yeah, so the University of Dallas, I'm convinced, is the best yeah. Catholic liberal arts university in the nation. And I want everyone to know that. Um, I, I, I'm convinced we provide the paradigm. Um, it's the right mix of instruction in a core that's fully integrated with majors, right? So... We're not a, a four-year core curriculum. It's it's a two-year core, two years of major work. We prepare students to live lives of great magnanimity. There's, mm. um, if, if you think about us in, in comparison to um, other similar schools, I, I would say, um, and, and this isn't just because of career planning and placement, but, but there's something about the curriculum and there's something about the level of the commitment of our faculty to their disciplines mm. that um, fosters a, a, a sense of um, uh, wanting to do great things for the greater glory of God. And that translates into wanting to sanctify your life of work through applying the, the gifts that you have, the education that you have, and professional excellence, right? So mm. there's, there's this, this um, remarkable capacity that our graduates have to rise quickly within um, uh, corporations, to um, be uh, attorneys of yeah. real significance and influence, to be um, not just Catholic doctors, but the best doctors who are Catholic um, as well um, in particular regions, right? So this, um, this goal of being really excellent in all that you do, how you raise your family, how you build up your community. That's fostered by the education we provide. It, it's, it's very much a part of our DNA. And I, I do think is a, uh, one, one of the distinguishing features of the University of Dallas. I love that. One of my dreams and hopes for UD is that it will be, uh, it will provide a clear vision for other Catholic colleges as well as some have, have had serious mission drift of what a Catholic college can be like uh, in the modern world. So we, we love what you're doing at CLT. Uh, students, if you're listening to this, definitely put it on your list of places to visit. Uh, President Sanford, final question we always end with. Uh, the book that you maybe come back to every year, the book that has been most form formative for you. Yeah, it's it's a tough book to get into. The the Nicomachean Ethics of Aristotle is um, the book that has grown on me that I return to year after year. I learn more every time I, I carefully read Aristotle's work there. And um, it's it's tough to begin because it it's it's not attractive in the ways that say Plato's Apology is. Um, I, I think it's harder to read than Aquinas's Summa Theologiae. Um, Aristotle is compressed in his language, but peeling off the layers of that compression and and really understanding the relationship between the the different ideas that he advances there um, benefits me intellectually and also morally in ways that I, I uh, am always going to be grateful for. I love that. I, I did get to read The Apology, but I have not read Nicky Mocking Ethics yet. So it, it is now at the top of the, the to read list. Um, again, parents, students, if, if you're listening to the Anchor Podcast, uh, University of Dallas is just 20 minutes maybe from Love Field. Uh, it's an easy college to visit, so definitely put it on your list. Uh, President Sanford, it's a, an honor to be with you today and on campus here. It's been fantastic to join you, Jeremy. Thanks.